we coming up to lead us? Did I forget anything this time, Nathan? Okay, hopefully not. Uh, so please welcome Nathan as he comes to deliver us the word. All right. Yes, uh, the website does start with www. That is um, absolutely correct. Um, uh, if I can encourage you uh, to get along to the comedy night at the North next week, that would be great. As well as coming to help at the Working Bee, that would be fantastic. There's a lot of stuff around the um, building that we need to uh, move on um, and empty some rooms out and clean up some areas. Nina has been fastidiously creating a large pyramid of... Um, of mess in the back room to to uh, be taken uh, to a new home at the Whitehorse Tip. Um, so uh, we're going to be cleaning up those areas, um, and we've got a lot of great things planned um, for the building and to support ministry. That's what the building's here for, right? It's not here to. We don't come to glorify the building. We don't come to worship the building. The building isn't um, what we're here for. We're here to exalt and glorify God. We want to lift up his name and we want to serve this community well. Um, and so to do that, we've got to make a few tweaks to, to how we're um, doing things, how the building's constructed. Um, and so please um, get along and help us with that if you can. Um, Nina's been doing an exceptional job with the playgroup. Um, we're seeing lots and lots of new people come through that. Um, and one of the things we're going to start doing as a church um, in the next few months is we're going to start talking more about what's happening in different ministry areas uh, so people can hear um, those great things that are happening and so that we can pray together as a church uh, for those areas to be to be blessed. And um, so if you are wondering whether or not you might like to be involved in any of those areas, um, you can know a bit more about them. Well, I want to tell you a story about a tragic individual um, this morning. Now, you're smiling at me, Dan, but it really is it's, it's quite, it's quite a tragic story. Stop laughing at it, Dan. It, the, more, the more I talk about it being tragic, the more you laugh. You must be not um, pastor material. Let's put it in there. Um, once, once a gifted and promising individual, this person was prophesied to bring about significant change. Their potential was immense. It was seen by those around them that they were destined for greatness. However, like many of us, they had desires, passions, dreams. As these desires grew, so did the fear of losing those that they loved, their attachment to someone dear to them, the fear of their loved ones suffering, and a desire to protect them drove them to make choices that led them down a dark and treacherous path. Their unchecked desires led to significant consequences, altering the course of their life and affecting those around them. 
The consequences of their unchecked desires were catastrophic. They betrayed their friends. They committed heinous acts. They killed thousands of people. And they played a pivotal role in the rise of a destructive force. Their choices led to immense suffering, not only for themselves, but for countless others. Yet this character's story does not end in darkness. There is redemption. In the end, the love and belief of a close companion, their goodness allowed their indiv- this individual to find redemption and bring about positive change. But that was after he followed the desires of his heart. And that's how Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader. It's a common story throughout all of media, right? And we can read about it in um, uh, books from hundreds of years ago to books written today to movies to whatever else, the unchecked desire of the heart, right? And what happens if you just pursue your desires, unchecked desires, right? Unchecked desires can lead to absolute catastrophe. Now, we've all heard the catch cry of our society, right? Trust your heart. Trust your heart. What happens if your heart or the thing that you're trusting is untrustworthy? Who's ever heard a friend say this? Something like, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. Or the modern iteration of that is, well, love is love. You love who you love, isn't it? Or you've, you've heard people say, well, it just feels right. My heart's telling me to marry this person. We've all heard those things, right? And we've all probably heard the opposite from the very same person. When they're years down the track and, you know, the heart wanted what the heart wanted and then suddenly three years down the track the heart doesn't want it anymore and, you know, and love is love or, you know, I've just, my heart wants someone else or all these kind of things. We've all seen that. We've all experienced those conversations. Some of us have experienced those things personally. What we do know is the heart, the heart is not trustworthy, is it? The heart tells me all kinds of things. If I was to follow every impulse of my heart, if I was to trust my heart, my goodness, what an awful place I could find myself in. If we don't bridle the heart, test it in the light of the Word of God and trust the guidance of God, it will lead us to do all kinds of ridiculous things. Not everything in the heart will lead us to do evil, right? Not everything it will lead us to do is evil, but following your heart and your heart alone is a recipe for disaster. Now, we're a, we're a Pentecostal church, right? Which often means we can be full of feeling people. 
We can be full of people that are deep feelers, the the ENFPs or ENFJs or whatever are running high in the Pentecostal movement. And there's nothing wrong with being a feeling person, right? There's nothing wrong with being a person that feels deeply. I'm married to a deep feeler and my wife will feel deeply what other people are, are saying. She'll cry for them. She will want to, you know. I'm also a, a deep feeler. Chanel's more introverted in her feelings, so we'll consider that. I'm a feeler who will act on feelings. That's not a great, that's not a great thing there. Thankfully, uh, Chanel will uh, tether me there. Surprise, feelings aren't wrong, right? Feelings are not a wrong thing. We sometimes make out like feelings are a bad thing. We become so cerebral in our faith that we actually don't feel um, what the Lord is saying, what the Lord is doing, what we should be feeling when we're reading God's Word, when we're worshipping Him. But our heart and our mind must be brought under the authority of Jesus. Our heart and our mind cannot be left just to run amok, to trust whatever they might tell us to do. So let's turn together uh, to Jeremiah 17 uh, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, this is situated in a part of Jeremiah that addresses the spiritual condition of the people of Judah. That's the southern kingdom of Israel uh, during a uh, uh, significant moral and spiritual decline. Now, Jeremiah was a great prophet who ministered in Judah during a time of great turmoil. He prophesied uh, during the um, reigns of several uh, kings and throughout his uh, ministry, Jeremiah delivered messages of rebuke, warning, but also hope. And and we like to hone in on Jeremiah's messages of hope, right? We are, um, for I know the plans that I have for you. Like we come. That is the that is zing Jeremiah. That's. Some people, that's all, they read Jeremiah and if they had a highlighter, they'd highlight that bit and just leave the rest. But the ministry of Jeremiah is incredibly applicable to where we find ourselves as a society today. In a society that finds a church that is in a lot of ways seemingly in decline or in less vogue as it once was. Um, so let's get into it um, today. The heart is deceitful above all things. Well, the heart here obviously refers uh, to the innermost part of a person, including thoughts, emotions, desires, intentions. It's deceitful. That implies that the heart has a tendency to mislead or deceive. It suggests that the human heart can actually rationalize sinful actions and convince us that our desires are right, even when they go against God's will. 
Now, every person in this room can probably think of all the times that their heart has rationalised something that they have known they shouldn't do. I can think of, I can think of hundreds in the last week that my mind and my heart can rationalise these terrible decisions, right? And you have to actually bring it under the authority of Jesus to go, hey, this is not the best idea here. Jeremiah even goes harder on this. He says it's beyond cure. The spiritual condition of the heart in Jeremiah's context is so corrupted and morally sick that it is beyond cure. And who can understand it? This rhetorical question underscores the difficulty of fully comprehending the deceitful and sinful nature of the human heart. It suggests the human heart is complex and can even hide its true intentions from its owner. That's terrifying, right? That you can think that you are making a decision for all the right reasons when in reality your heart is so deceitful and sick you can make decisions thinking that they're right and for the right reason but they're so sick inside that they can be for the absolutely wrong reason. We can't even understand it. That terrifies me, right? Because I often think I'm making a great decision for a great reason. And I've done that a thousand times and then years down the track gone, that was really poorly, that was a poor decision. That was motivated for the wrong reasons. I did not make a great decision there. Now the immediate context here of Jeremiah 17 is that Jeremiah is addressing people's disobedience idolatry, unfaithfulness to God's covenant. They had turned away from God. They'd been engaging in practices that violated his commandments. And the prophet's words were meant to highlight the spiritual condition of the nation and call them to repentance. They were spiritually sick. They were following their hearts and their hearts were leading them to all kinds of rubbish. And it emphasizes, he's emphasizing this this deceitful and desperately sick nature because their hearts had become so corrupt, they were living in sin, and it was really highlighting or or proving an indictment on the people's moral condition. They thought they were moral, but they were actually completely, completely living in a way that was adverse to the way God would have them living. And so he's warning them about the dangers of self-deception, misplaced trust and their own understanding and desires being so corrupt. In this broader context, Jeremiah's message is not only about the condition of the human heart, but also for the need for repentance, turning back to God and for healing, to acknowledge their sinful state and to rely on God's grace and transformative power to renew their hearts and relationship with him. You know, and as I considered this verse, as I've been thinking about this verse, it's become evident to me, it would seem that this is very applicable to us today. 
how often in our society do we see people just find you're happy? Trust your heart. Do what makes you happy. What does your heart tell you to do? And in trusting their heart, people find themselves in tremendous amounts of pain, physical pain, mental pain. Just reflecting on that with Chanel this morning on the way here, that people often in endeavouring to relieve their trauma and their pains and everything that is hurting them, they search and look by following their heart and just find themselves in tremendous amounts more of pain. And we find ourselves as a society in following this catch cry of trust your heart has led us down the path of proud disobedience to our Lord. I mean, there's churches that are proud to cast biblical truth to the sidewalk. That's nuts, right? It's disobedience. We find ourselves in idolatry to celebrity and material things. We find ourselves faithful to cultural mores rather than faithful to the Word of God. The condition of the human heart between the time of Jeremiah and to the time of now has not changed. The condition of the human heart is still sick. This condition of the human heart is still deceitful. The need for repentance has not changed. It has not changed that you cannot trust your heart. Don't trust your heart. So if there is a deceitful heart within us, what is the way to truth? Well, there's only one way to truth, and that is by knowing the source of truth. If, leading, if the leading of the heart leads us to treacherous paths, then the path of truth must change that. We need to trust in the Lord with our heart. We need to set our heart on Him and let Him govern our path. Now, we'd be all familiar with this verse from Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is the difference between biblical truth. That is the difference between what the Lord has shown us and trusting what is within us. One trusts ourselves as the source of truth. The other trusts in the Lord as the source of truth. Now, trust is a deep and unwavering confidence in God's reliability, His faithfulness and His wisdom. With all our heart, or with all your heart, emphasizes the wholehearted nature of trust, suggesting that one should rely on God completely, without reservation. Do not lean on your own understanding. This phrase advises against relying solely on human wisdom 
or one's own understanding when making decisions or navigating life's challenges. It encourages a reliance on God's wisdom and guidance rather than human reasoning. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge means to recognize or acknowledge God's presence and sovereignty over every aspect of your life. The continual awareness of God's presence with you and dependence on Him. And He will make your paths straight. When we trust in the Lord and acknowledge Him in all aspects of life, seek His guidance, God will direct and guide your path, making it straight. Now, am I saying easy? I'm not saying easy, right? This is not what this is saying. It's not saying, trust in me and your life's going to be easy, straight. When it's talking about straight, it's talking about righteousness, It's talking about not treacherous in the sense of sinfulness, which is windy and all over the place. It is straight. It's easy to navigate. It is the path of righteousness. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. In our marriage, do we trust in the Lord with all of our heart? Do we submit it to Him? I find myself, I'm frustrated with with Chanel. That's the first place I'll trust my heart, right? I won't submit my frustration to the Lord. I won't bring it under the authority of Christ. I won't react in a Christward way. If Chanel's annoying me, I'll trust my heart and give her the silent treatment. And Chanel's laughing because she knows that I'm not a yeller, I'm a, I'm a silent angrier. Just, if I'm not talking, I'm either shy or angry. That's <laughs> In church, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, right? In church, in church we should... Uh, Trust in the Lord with all of our heart. It's almost idiosyncratic, right, to say churches should trust in the Lord. But how often do we trust in our own schemes, our own ideas, our ways of making things awesome and like the church down the road when God is wanting to do something different? God doesn't want to make... Every church on Middleborough Road, which there's a few, look exactly the same. God doesn't want every church on Middleborough Road to be looking exactly the same. God has a different set of wisdom for us to use. And we shouldn't be seeking being contemporary or using our own schemes, we should be seeking the heart of the Lord and trying to apply that to our church. In family, again, do we trust in the Lord? In our extended family relationships, do we submit that to Him? In our work, You're working in a secular environment, that can feel ridiculous, right? How do I trust the Lord for 
this? How do I trust the Lord when I'm doing data entry or, you know, I'm sitting at a desk somewhere? How do I trust in the Lord if I'm, you know, painting a wall? Um, But the reality is, if we submit our work to the Lord, we will work differently, won't we? We will react differently. We will be better employees. We'll be better bosses. We will be better business owners. We'll be better retirees. You know, whatever it is, we will be better if we are to submit it. Um, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. (laughs) That is my son who likes to remind us of that that verse uh, uh, weekly. (laughs) And in our friendships, in the challenging things that are happening in our personal lives, do we trust in the Lord? Do we submit all these areas to an unwavering confidence in God's reliability, His faithfulness, and His wisdom, rather than understanding? This is hard to do, right? It's not easy. It's easier when we're in difficult situations or we're wanting to do something to react quickly, to just um, get angry and react. We've all experienced it. We've all done this, right? We've all, in our own different ways, we've all trusted our heart and tried to do what's right and found ourselves an hour later, two hours later, a day later, a week later, a few years later, apologizing to someone, sorry about the thing that I did back then when I trusted my heart and it was a terrible decision. So thank God for the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to John chapter 16. We're going to spend some time around verse 13. This is Jesus speaking. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, this is part of a larger um, discourse here, or a larger passage known as the Farewell Discourse. In this, uh, in this uh, passage, Jesus is speaking to His uh, disciples in the upper room just before His arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection. He is preparing them for his departure and the coming of the Holy Spirit, who will be a helper, comforter, and guide. Now, when the Spirit of Truth comes, this is a title, right, for the, the Holy Spirit. He's emphasizing his role in revealing divine truth and guiding his disciples into God's truth. He will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit's role in leading believers into a, a deeper understanding of, God truth, of God's truth implies ongoing revelation, ongoing uh, illumination. For He will not speak on His own authority. The Holy Spirit does not act independently, but operates in alignment with the Father and the Son. He spur- speaks and works in harmony with the Godhead, with the Trinity. He doesn't speak on his own, but he speaks in harmony with the Father and the Son. 
then whatever he hears, he will speak. This implies the Holy Spirit uh, receives divine revelation from the Father and Son and communicates it to the disciples, to believers today. He imparts God's truth and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit will not only reveal present truth, but also provide insights into future events, helping believers navigate the future according to God's plan. The Spirit leads us into God's truth and helps us discern God's will. But if we were to dive a little bit deeper into John 16, we encounter a statement from Jesus that may initially seem counterintuitive, but holds within it a profound promise. It is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. How often we skim over this little word here? Because how much more, I think, for all of us standing in this room, right? For all of us who have, have read that, for those disciples standing in that room that day, to hear Jesus say, it's to your advantage that I go away. We're often so fixated on Jesus coming back because we want Jesus here with us, right? We want the physical embodiment of Christ with us. And we think that would be so much better. Imagine for the disciples in that upper room, hanging on every word of their beloved rabbi and then hearing him say, I must depart and it's better for you if I do. It is better for you if I go. My goodness. There's something, there's something in that for us. There's something that we miss in that for ourselves. It takes on a deeper meaning, unveiling the promise of the Holy Spirit's coming. Jesus knew that his earthly ministry was coming to an end, but he was not leaving us alone. He was sending the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter, the spirit of truth. And we understand this as the promise of the Holy Spirit's outpouring, a divine fire that would descend upon believers, filling them with power from on high. And we see that on Pentecost. The advantage of Christ's departure is realized in the empowerment that followed. The Holy Spirit is not a distant observer, right? The Holy Spirit is not far away from us. It's not far away from us today, but is a personal indwelling presence. He baptizes us, uh, endowing us with spiritual gifts and a deep abiding connection with God. This empowerment enables us to bear witness, proclaim the gospel boldly and live lives that are a beacon of God's hope, true hope. And this spirit that lives within us, that gives gifts, that has this deep abiding connection with God within us, leads us into all Truth, the heart, which also dwells within us, right, is deceitful, unwell, sick beyond measure. 
It might lead us to truth, but it might lead us to something completely different. But the Spirit of God leads us into all truth. Submit your heart to the Spirit of God. You know what? Christ's departure was an essential step in God fulfilling His plan for the world. Through His sacrificial death on the cross, His resurrection and His ascension, His leaving us, Christ paved the way for a harvest. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out in Acts, there marked the birth of the church and thousands were saved in a single day. The power of God's plan was poured out upon the world and it continues to transform lives today. Charles said something this week, which I've really been chewing over, chewing over and chewing over. But it's actually possible to imitate being a Christian. You could pretend to be a Christian. And you know what? Plenty will. You, you just got to read the Gospels about that. You got to read about when Jesus talks about judgment. Lord, Lord. But I did this, I did that. It is easy to imitate being a Christian. What you cannot imitate is the work of the Holy Spirit. Drawing people into relationship with Christ. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit. You cannot imitate that. You cannot imitate that. The Holy Spirit brings real, true, personal transformation. Christ's departure means that we can experience personal transformation. With the Spirit comes the fruits of the Spirit. In the fullness of the Spirit, if we receive the gifts that the Spirit gives to us, the fruits of the Spirit, and walk in what Christ has promised us, we will be transformed. You know, in our journey, we might be tempted to rely on our own understanding, to trust our own hearts, but we need to, in reality, surrender our hearts to the Holy Spirit's work. If we just become cerebral in our faith, if we just become people who know, we're actually missing quite a key part of what Jesus has left us with. Either we believe what Jesus said, that it's to our advantage that he leave because he's sending the spirit of truth or we think it wasn't to our advantage. And I would argue that if you don't think that Jesus was right, then you've got a lot wrong. If you don't think Jesus was right and you're a Christian, you're probably not a Christian. Jesus sent us a helper. We need to 
bring our hearts and our minds and our spirits under the authority of Almighty God, the Spirit of God. You know, our advantage is that we don't need to trust our heart. We can trust the Spirit. And while the heart is deceitful, the heart that is submitted to the Spirit of God is submitted to the Spirit of truth. And while you can't trust your heart, you can trust the Spirit of God. So entrust your heart. Entrust your heart to the Holy Spirit's wisdom. Entrust your heart to the Holy Spirit's counsel. He's a counsellor, right? Entrust your heart to the Holy Spirit's counsel. Entrust your heart to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Entrust your heart to the ultimate source of truth and direction. There is a path to redemption and renewal, a path that leads us to trust in God's wisdom and guidance, trust in the Spirit of God. In the complexities of life, it's easy to lean on our own understanding, believing that we can or we must navigate our way through life's challenges ourselves. But as the writer of Proverbs reminds us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. God's wisdom far surpasses our own. So how do we cultivate hearts that seek God's Spirit above all else? How do we entrust our heart to the Spirit? Well, there's some very practical, very easy steps that I think that we can take to begin to bring our heart under the authority of God, to begin to um, tame our heart, as it were. First of all is prayer. Spend time in prayer, seeking God's guidance and surrendering your desires to Him. Allow His wisdom to permeate your heart and decisions when you're feeling reactive, when you're feeling like just going heart wild on someone. Submit it to Submit it to the Lord. Bring it to prayer. It's not hard in our frustration to stop and go, Lord, give me your heart. Lord, I'm feeling very frustrated here. Give me a heart that reflects your heart. We should meditate on God's Word daily. If you're not meditating on God's Word, then you're missing missing a lot. We need to actually allow Scripture to shape our thoughts, shape our desires, shape our mind. We need to let the truth that we find in the Word of God be a compass by which we navigate life. And let me tell you, if you're saying that you're 
trusting the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God is telling you to do is contrary to what is in the Word of God, I can tell you it is not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will not lead you to contradict the Word of God. Isn't that wonderful? It's actually a really wonderful thing. Because when we're thinking or trying to discern, am I listening to the Lord? We can go to the Word of God and check it up. So we should spend time in dedicated study of the Bible, diving deep into uh, uh, the wisdom of God. You know, God's Word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We should seek counsel. If we're struggling to discern what the Spirit is saying to us, then we should go to those that we trust and pray with them, seek counsel from them. Uh, We should seek counsel from wise and spiritually mature individuals who can provide guidance and perspective from a biblical standpoint. Pray with others. Pray together. We don't pray together enough. We should, when we're hearing about someone's struggles, someone's difficulties, when we're hearing about someone's struggle to hear um, the voice of God or to follow the Spirit or, or whatever it is, we should be confident to pray with one another. You know, I wouldn't, I would commend for anyone in this church, if you're looking for counsel, speak to Ian. I commend Ian to you over a thousand times. Tony, Kylie, Nina, I'd commend Chanel to you. Chanel will hate that I've said that. These are people that are full of wisdom and I am confident are full of spiritual maturity. And there's nothing wrong with speaking, uh, seeking counsel, right? We're often too afraid to admit our weakness in an area. But hey, I seek counsel from people. I seek counsel from a great multitude of people because I don't have all the answers. And sometimes I'm wondering whether or not the things that I'm thinking are Christward, are right, are a good pursuit. Charles and I speak daily. Legitimately, we speak daily, bouncing each other's ideas off each other to see if they're insane or not. And sometimes they are. And we tell each other that. We should be accountable to each other. We should be surrounded by community believers who encourage us to trust in the wisdom of God, not to mistrust the Spirit, right? And we should be earnestly seeking. Paul commends us in Corinthians to earnestly seek spiritual gifts, to seek those gifts that the Spirit endows upon us. And we should do that individually and as a church. We should be seeking the gifts of the Spirit. It's to our advantage. God's wisdom is the ultimate source of truth and direction. Don't trust your heart alone, but trust in the Lord. Seek the guidance of His Word and the Spirit of God. And when we trust in His wisdom and guidance, we find a path to life that honours Him.
And that's what we want to live, right? We want to live a life that honours God. We don't want to live a life that, well, maybe you do. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't want to speak on your behalf. Maybe you want to live a life that glorifies yourself and ends up in a big mess. But I think we want to live a life that is walking the straight path of righteousness. We want to honour God. We want to be a church that honours God. We want to be a church that sees His name glorified. And that's what the Spirit of God does. It exalts the name of Jesus. It adorns the name of Jesus. We need to follow its leading. So may we surrender to God, seeking His wisdom, trusting in His unfailing love. In Him we find our ultimate, our true, our truest purpose, our ultimate joy, our lasting peace. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and he will make your paths straight. Don't trust your heart. Trust in the Lord. Will you stand with me? Lord God, we thank you that you are the spirit of truth. We thank you, Lord God, that you're a God who is at work today. You're at work in our lives. You're at work in the lives of uh, those who are um, uh, uh, far from this place, Lord God. Your spirit at is is at work today, Lord God. And we want to see your spirit moving in our lives. We want to trust your spirit, Lord God. Lord God, bring us a changed heart, Lord God. Let us bring our hearts under authority of your spirit, Lord God. Let us not run amok, Lord, just doing whatever our heart desires, but instead do, Lord, what uh, your spirit has called us to do. Bring transformation, Jesus. Bring, bring transformation to our hearts, Lord God. Father God, we want to be a place that welcomes your spirit. We want to be a place, Lord God, that doesn't trust in our own wiles, doesn't trust in our own smarts, doesn't trust in our own uh, uh, thoughts and hearts leadings, but trusts and follows your spirit passionately, that is obedient to your word, that is obedient to your calling, Lord God. So, Lord God, we pray that you would raise that up in each heart today, Lord God, that that would be a hallmark of this, this location, Lord God, of this church, Lord, that we would be a place that follows your leading, that follows your heart, Lord God, that listens to your spirit, Lord God, and submits to it, Lord God. Let us be a place that submits to your Spirit's leading, Lord God. Let us be a place that sees your Spirit at work, Lord God, in people's lives. We pray for transformed lives, Lord God. Outpourings of the gifts of the Spirit in this place, Lord God. Outpourings of, of your Spirit, Lord God, that we cannot uh, deny, Lord. We want to see that in this place. Father God, we pray that you would pour out your Spirit even now on each individual, Lord God. On each individual we pray. Amen.